Well, good evening, folks. Can we take a moment to thank God for protecting us from Hurricane Henry on Sunday? Uh, to my knowledge, no properties or people were destroyed or harmed, uh, save there was just power outage in some few sections of parts of Northeast. So, uh, in the next few minutes, let's just thank God, okay? Let's just praise Him and thank Him. Father, we thank you that Psalm 91 has indeed worked for us. We thank you that we were under your shadow of protection. We thank you that you protected us from harm and evil's way. Oh, Father, we thank you that this hurricane uh, didn't make us victims. We thank you that it didn't touch any of our properties. We thank you that even when we watched the news and tuned in, we had good reports concerning that. Uh, we just want to give you praise for everything that you did. We acknowledge your hand in this, O oh Lord. Thank you. Thank you that people's homes were not destroyed. We thank you that lives were not rendered homeless. And Father, we thank you for preserving us throughout it all, oh Lord. We give you praise. Thank you for safety. We just want to thank you for protection, O oh Lord. We give you praise for all that you've done. And Father, we thank you that this is even a confirmation that when we pray to you, you hear us. For your word has said that's your hands are not too short, neither are your ears that of hearing. We thank you that you listen to the saints of the of, of the prayer of, of the prayers of the saints. You listen to the prayers of the saints. We just want to thank you for tonight, O oh Lord. We want to recognize your power and your potency in all of this. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Father, tonight in this house, we just want to say thank you. We want to worship you. We want to thank you, Lord. Receive all your praise. Receive all your glory. Now and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we did chapter 9. And just like most of you said, we learned on God's position on Israel and the world at large. He loves us all and wants us to come to the saving knowledge of his grace. We looked at um, a biblical perspective on election and gained understanding of that. Uh, God has elected the world uh, to make known his riches of his glory. And we are henceforth the vessels of mercy. Uh, we established from scripture that none is a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction until the end of the age. Uh, the only people who will uh, have that label fall on them are the unrepented ones at the end of this age. But in this present age, there is nobody who is a vessel of wrath. All right, so it destroys the popular Calvinist theory that the doctrine of election means some are chosen, others ignored or despised. That is not really true. And we look through scripture in context uh, to establish that truth. Amen. So we said that God is not unfair or unrighteous to do that. And we read that from scripture. And then last week, I just read Romans chapter 9 again. I just became blessed all over again. I was just thanking God for the, the doctrine of election being at full force, which is working, that all will become heirs of salvation, that all of us now are vessels of mercy. I think that is good news. Amen. So before I start tonight, may I make a passionate plea to take your Bible reading and study very seriously. 
I mean, in your personal times, not in a corporate setting like this, but in, in your quiet times, take your Bible reading and your Bible study very seriously. Uh, find out the truth from God's word by checking and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. You know, the author of these scriptures is the Holy Spirit. And if you will just take time to just fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you will know what is called truth. And I'm saying that in light of dangerous teachings, theories, and theologies that are propounded all over the place. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but anytime I go on a social media outlet, either Facebook, Twitter, IG, or YouTube, I'm always, not sometimes, always, I'm always coming across some false teaching some way, somehow. So we, 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 we live in times that are indeed perilous, okay? So please take your Bible study and your Bible reading very seriously because people are being deceived left, right, and center, okay? And uh, look, doctrine is irrespective of name. doesn't matter whether you are a mega church pastor of 300,000 or of three. You can be a false teacher. But one of the ways by which we will be on the lookout is to take our Bible reading and our Bible study very seriously and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, who is the author of scriptures. Because I'm seeing too many things out there uh, which sometimes really disturbs and, and saddens my heart. Amen. So please just be on the watch out, okay? Uh, be very careful. Invest in a good study Bible. Read your Bible. Pray. Uh, don't take my word for the final say. Be like a Berean. And a Berean is in Acts chapter 17. Yes. The Bible says that they were fair-minded and they searched the scriptures daily to ascertain their truth. Whether the apostles were saying it was so or not. So develop that attitude. Amen. Fact check, cross check, read, study on your own. Pray, allow the Holy Spirit to inspire upon you the understanding of scriptures. Uh, because if you don't just do that and you just take everything at face value, you are in danger of being deceived. I'm very passionate about this. Amen. So be on the watch out and be on the lookout. Back to our agenda for tonight. Paul is now going to talk to us about how one can come to the saving knowledge of God in chapter 10. So let's read the first three verses. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Three important lessons to take home from these verses we just read. One. We learn something about Paul's desire here that his countrymen will be saved. So like we are saying, the, the virtues of being patriotic or patriotism is not a, a Western ideal or a Western concept. It's a biblical concept. Paul loved this country so much and, and, and he loved this country. He wasn't just, I'm sure he was not just interested in uh, um, the country should do well financially. 
the country should have a strong military base. I'm sure, you know, he might have thought about these things because he's a citizen. But above it all, he was also very concerned about the soul of the country, the salvation of the country. So please, as Christians, let's make it a point to pray for our country. Amen. Don't just pray for economic prosperity and peace. Other important, you know, commit the elections and everything and do your part. What do you have to do if you have to vote? Vote. But at the end of it all, when all is said and done, pray for the soul of the country you dwell in, that they will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Amen. The second point I learned here is passion isn't the same as knowing God. It's not. You can be passionate about the things of God, church and ministry, but spiritually blind. And if you do remember, last week we, we defined spiritual blindness as a mind darkened of who Christ is. Jesus had a disciple. He was called Simon. His nickname was the Zealot, or as King James Version will say, Zeloty. You know, and who is a zealot? A zealot is an extremist. It's a nice word for terrorist. They are prepared to kill for what they believe. Hardcore people, they will kill for their religion. You know, Jesus had zealots, extremists, you know, but they didn't even know Christ. These were the same bunch of people in John chapter 20. Jesus said that received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon them. You see, they, they, they were very zealous and very active and very passionate, but they had no knowledge of Christ. So passion is, exuding passion is not the same of having a knowledge of Christ. And today we have a lot of zealots who don't know Christ. They may know about church, they may know about their pastor, how to do ministry, and that's all. It shouldn't end there. The chiefest of all this is to know Christ. So the, when you are zealots, you will have no reaction on social media. When God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or godly principles based on the Bible are blasphemed. It doesn't even bother you. It doesn't even tickle your fancy. Just very quiet. But when your pastor or your church is touched, all hell breaks loose. Listen, I'm a pastor, okay? One of the things that touches every pastor's heart, if you're a normal pastor, if you're normal, is faithfulness. Pastors, we like it when our members are faithful. We love it when our members honor us. I, I believe in that strongly. Look, one time I flew to Ghana just for two days. Just for two days. I, I, I arrived in Ghana on a Thursday and I left on Sunday. And the reason why I did that is because of a member who was very faithful and who honored me. That, that's all. So pastors, we take note of that. that. That's the only reason why I did what I did. Under normal circumstances, I will never fly anywhere for two days. And particularly to Ghana, I will not do that. But I did that for him. And two days, if you are buying a ticket just for two days, it's very, it's pricey, extremely pricey. But I had to do all that because I was telling my wife, no, he was faithful. It's very hard to find faithful workers. It's very hard to find people who, who add honor to the work of God. So 
I have to be there for him. I just want to be there for just those two days in his time of need, just to make a statement that I honor him because he honored me. Pastor, every pastor who is normal takes note of honor. But don't let your allegiance to church and your pastor and ministry be more than Christ. That's wrong. The same anger agitation you have when someone will touch your church or your pastor, use that same anger and agitation when someone talks blasphemy about God, the Holy Spirit, principles of the Bible. Exude that same passion. That's what I'm talking about. And, and zealots, sometimes they can have a very unhealthy allegiance or an unhealthy alliance, which is more like idolatry. So don't just have passion for the things of God. Have passion for knowing God. Because these Israelites, they were very passionate. And if you and I were probably behind the fence and we were watching them, we would say, wow, these are the candidates of heaven. They had passion, but they had no knowledge of God. So passion is not the same. Let your passion be accompanied by knowing Christ for real. That is more important. Number three, passion doesn't equate to understanding the righteousness of God. That's because you are passionate and you are very exuberant and, and you are very excited about the things of God doesn't mean you understand the righteousness of God. This is what they didn't understand the righteousness of God. The Bible lets us know that they were ignorant. They tried to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to the righteousness of God. You see, you are, we, we, are, we are doing two things, all of us. Either one is trying to establish his own righteousness or one who has submitted to the righteousness of God. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I know by now, as we are in chapter 10, that it's only those who have submitted to the righteousness of God who become heirs of salvation and who will thereby qualify to be a partaker of the resurrection. Amen. Now let's continue. Verses 4 to 13. So now, how do we submit to the righteousness of God? Paul is going to go further. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who are ascending to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above, or who are sent into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we become righteous because of Christ. You get it? He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who
who believes. The Jews struggled with this message, you know, because like we've read from the previous um, chapters and looking at the um, background, they wanted to boast more in their lineage. They wanted to boast more on, we are the only nation that were given the law and we will continue to strive to achieve righteousness by doing the works of the law, which Moses even quoted when we look further. Moses goes on, um, I'm sorry, Paul goes on to talk about two types of righteousness we see here. Righteousness of the law and righteousness of faith. That's from verses 5 to 8. And now Moses quoted in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5. So um, what you read in verse 5 is, is a quotation of Moses that Paul inserted in. That if you do the law, you will live. And you and I know that by now, the law didn't come to make us righteous. The law came to show us that we need a savior. So nobody could establish their own righteousness through works or acts. It's not possible. Ever since the law was given from Exodus chapter 20, Till Jesus died on the cross, there was not one perfect human being who was able to observe the rudiments of the law and fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Else, there would have been no need to Jesus to die. The one person who was very close to that was the rich young ruler. He came to the Lord saying, I've obeyed everything, everything since my childhood. Jesus looked at him. The Bible says he loved him. He loved him. He loved him. He said, okay, let me give you one more. Sell all your possessions. Come and follow me. The Bible says that when he heard that, he was grieved. Why? Because he had much possessions. You see? So just that one law he couldn't fulfill. He has broken everything. When you read James chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says that if you are guilty in one, you are guilty of all. The law was 613. Forget even about the 613. Let's just follow the Ten Commandments. Are you sure you can follow all the Ten Commandments perfectly to a perfect technique? So the law did not really come to make us righteous. The law came to expose us that we are sinful. The law came to expose us that your status is you are a sinner based on Adam. And the law came to further indicate that you need help. You need a savior who will be able to help you become righteous. And this is all that Apostle Paul is preaching. Now, when we look at the second type of righteousness, it's righteousness of faith so apostle paul goes to say that you don't have to do works to gain jesus you don't need to go to heaven and bring jesus or you need to go to the abyss and raise jesus from the dead all these are figurative expressions of you don't need to work all that you need to do is to believe and when you believe you become righteous 
Do you understand? So there is righteousness of the law by works. And nobody could do it. And even if you could achieve it, go to Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. So let's say, okay, you are able to observe the whole law. And through the whole law, you will become righteous. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. Let's look at the verdict on that. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, you see, with an S, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Is it not even a rag? A rag is even dirty. Then it is filthy on top. All your righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So even let's say that you are even able to fulfill everything to a science. It's still not good enough. This is the reason why Christ came. Because we can only achieve righteousness in Christ. Outside Christ, you can't do it. God is not accepting any work of flesh. But by what his son Jesus has died for, which has made provision for all of us to experience eternal life. Amen. So now, Paul is going to show us how one gets saved. And when you read from verses 9 to 13, you see that there. Paul quoted Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 13 to say that you get saved because the word is near your heart and mouth. And how does the word become, how does the word comes near to your mouth and in your heart? It comes near to your heart and your mouth through someone preaching the word. So you don't just receive the word which is near your mouth or your heart by osmosis. It is because someone has preached the word. And why is it near your mouth and your heart? It is near your heart and your mouth because after receiving the word, it is up to you to believe it with your heart and confess it with your mouth. So whenever someone does witnessing to a group, the word is near their mouth and their heart. And they will have to take the action or respond by believing with their hearts the word they have received and confess with their mouth the word they receive. That's how one becomes saved. And the Bible lets us know that when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe with our hearts that God has raised Christ from the dead, then we are saved. This word salvation is a very big thing. In fact, today as I was was meditating on this, I said, I I just wrote it down. We have to do a whole series on salvation. Because salvation is a very broad word. Amen. And sometimes if, if we can know everything that entails our salvation package, uh, it, it will really help how we tre- we trek on this course of faith. Amen. So uh, I, I've, put, I've put a point there. We'll have to do something on salvation. And when we are saved, we are saved from sins. We have been saved from 
the wrath of God to come. Now, why do I mention sins? We have been saved from our past sins. We've been saved from our present sins. And we've been saved from our future sins. Now, when I'm talking about being saved from our future sins, it doesn't mean that you can just take the grace of God for granted. Because Paul never thought that. That's why I said, shall we continue to say that we take the grace of God for granted? No, certainly not. Certainly not. So that, that's not what it means. We have been saved from sins. So even the future sins that you've com- you will commit, God has made atonement for you. That's what I mean. Now, uh, I am not advocating living life anyhow with the intention that your sins in the future are forgiven. Are, are you understanding me? Because, look, when Christ died for us, none of us were alive. He died for our future sins. Are you understanding me? He died so that he could become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we have been saved from sins. That's what I mean. We have been saved from the wrath of God, which is to come. And presently in this age, we will not experience the wrath of God now. We will experience the wrath of God at the end of this age. Amen. And we've been saved from that. And the Bible lets us know that people who are vessels of wrath are prepared for destruction until the end of this age. Thank God. When we are saved, we, we, are, we, we don't experience the wrath of God. We are saved from that. We are saved from the second death. You see, there is a death beyond this death. There's the, I'll even say there are three kinds of death. The first death is when we were all dead in our trespassing senses. We all didn't know Christ. We were, we were what we call the living dead. Yes, you were existing on this earth, but you are dead. Your spirit is separated. Then there is the second death, which is the natural death. The Bible says it is appointed unto every man to die once. So as far as we live on this earth, we will experience that kind called death. And then there is the third kind of death, which is eternal judgment. Amen. So we've been saved from two kinds of deaths when we are believers. We will all have to experience that one kind of death, that is cessation of life, but we have been saved from death. That's why the Bible says that we have been raised by Christ into the newness of life by the Holy Spirit. So we've been, we've been saved from, because when you're an unbeliever, you are dead. But when you are judged at the end of this age, you will die again. It's another death. So we have been saved We've been saved from these kinds of deaths, which is separation from God. So we are indeed saved. So salvation is of a huge price. This is why Apostle Paul, with this revelation, that is why he was so passionate that his fellow countrymen will come to the saving knowledge of Christ and not only the Gentiles. Paul then stressed the need for this procedure. And what was the procedure? Believing with your heart, confessing with your mouth. That's a very important procedure. And he stressed, he said, because with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, 
confession is made unto salvation. So you become an heir of salvation when your heart and mouth are involved. So that's how you know you are saved. So we all have to examine whether we are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. The Bible says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Has has your heart and your mouth been involved in this procedure of salvation? I'm not talking about how long you have been in the church. I'm not talking about how well you are adept at the things of God. Has your heart and your mouth you know, one of the scary scriptures, I always keep on quoting it. If you've been in this church for a while, it's John 3, 3. Keep on saying it. Marvel not. Jesus told a religious leader, marvel not. That means do not be surprised. I tell you, except you become born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking to a teacher of the law. And I always say that's the scary scripture because... The, 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 the whole God of universe clothed in humanity is telling us that do not be surprised. I'm telling you, there are going to be surprises at the end of this age. And Paul is saying that the way you will know that you are an heir of salvation is not to boast in your Israel lineage. It's not to boast in your descendancy that I am a descendant of Abraham. But we have to know whether there is a heart-mouth exercise in your procedure that led to salvation. Have you believed with your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth salvation? Hence, it is biblical for every pastor to make altar calls at the end of the message. Because we give people the opportunity to involve their hearts and their mouth in the procedure of salvation. That is very important. You don't become a Christian by thinking. You don't become a Christian by just joining. You become a Christian by believing with your heart and confessing with your mouth. That is very important. Amen. You don't become a Christian because your brother is a, is a Christian and you join the church. You don't become a Christian because your parents were in the church and you joined the church. You, 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 you become a Christian because you have believed with your heart and you have confessed with your mouth. Amen. When we believe in him, the Bible lets us know we will not be put to shame. And I love that. Look, if you think you have experienced shame, you have no idea of what real shame is like. At the end of this age. And thanks be to God that we who are saved, we will not be put to shame. But what about our work colleagues? What about our brothers? What about our cousins? What about our aunties? Are we thinking about their welfare? What about people we hang around with? What about acquaintances that we meet, we talk with? Are we also thinking these good welfare thoughts for them? That they will not be put in? I, I believe that when you have a friend, you would like to help your friend, wouldn't you? It makes you a good friend. I mean, if you, have, if you are really a friend, you would love to help your friend. And if God has opened to us these truths, Are we not going to share it with them so that they will not be put to shame? Do we believe in this scripture? 
And shame means you will be dismayed. So there is a penalty, a judgment that will come upon people who are unrepentant, who resist the gospel. The Bible says they'll be put to shame. Amen. I love verses 12 to 13. Because last week, if you do remember, I spoke about when we talk about Israel, there are many concepts that come up like Zionism and Judaism beliefs. Verses 12 to 13 destroys all those theories and those beliefs. There is nothing like Zionist or Judaism beliefs when you read verses 12 to 13. It lets us know that Christianity is for all. Christianity is for all. That's why there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. It's for all. That, and I like what Paul said. He said the same Lord is rich to all who call upon him. So how many people have been elected? All of us have been elected to be vessels of mercy. And that's why the Bible said that for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. So the doctrine of election doesn't mean that God has selected a handful and has condemned people to utter destruction. As is the popular theory espoused by a group of Christianities called Calvinists. The doctrine of election means all of us have been elected. All of us are vessels of mercy. All of us have the opportunity to respond to the saving knowledge of Christ. All of us have the opportunity to make Christ the Lord of our lives when we hear the word of God because it is near our mouth and near our hearts. But you will have to respond. You will have to submit. Amen. So I, I, like, I like that a lot. There is no distinction between Jew or Gentile. Now, in, in this dispensation, God doesn't see Jew. He doesn't see Gentile. He just sees a child of God. Whether you are a Jew of Isaac's descendancy or of Abraham's descendancy, it doesn't matter. God just sees one race. We are children of God. That's it. In the Old Testament, it wasn't so. That is why God could say, Jacob I love is all I hate. But under this dispensation, it's not so. Because all of us have been made vessels of mercy that God will show forth the riches of his glory that he had prepared and determined beforehand. I'm so excited about that. Amen. Now let's read verses 14 to 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So people won't come to the Lord by osmosis, I repeat. People will only come to the Lord through the avenue of preaching. So preachers are important. Please pray for us all. And by the way, when I'm talking about preachers, don't think I am talking about uh, Pastor Steve or Pastor Jessica or Pastor Robert. I'm talking about all of us. All of us are preachers because 
God expects every believer to noise abroad the gospel. That is how people will be saved. And I like it. We are preaching the gospel of peace. What's the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is also what we call the ministry of reconciliation. It means that Christ died so that our sins will be pardoned, that we could have that relationship with God that existed previously through Adam before sin. That's reconciliation. That's our message. Our message is a gospel of peace because God is reconciling the word back to himself. And why is God reconciling the word back to himself? He's reconciling the world back to himself because of his son, Jesus. Because of the cross. God is reconciling the world back to himself. It's called the gospel of peace, or in other words, the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, the ministry of reconciliation is the gospel of peace. It's a powerful message. God is reconciling the world to himself. He's outstretching his arms towards us, his arms of hospitality, his arms of love, his arms of fatherliness. Why? On the basis of the death of his son, Jesus. So it's called the gospel of peace and it is glad tidings of good things. So our message is not doom. Our message is not gloom. Our message is the gospel of peace. God is reconciling the world to himself. Amen. So people will come to the saving knowledge of Christ when someone opens his mouth and preaches the word. That's the only way people come to Christ. People will not come to Christ because you give money to support missionaries. It's a good thing and we encourage that, but it's not enough. People will not come to the Lord because they will observe your nice Christian character. It's good, but it's not good enough. In addition to living your Christian beliefs, living your Christian virtues, believe God for boldness to also open your mouth and preach the gospel. And it's a simple message. Jesus Christ died for you, that your sins will be forgiven. If you, if you accept him, you receive eternal life. The gospel is so easy. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's a simple message. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And with your experience, I hope you'll be able to explain what's the meaning of everlasting life. And, let the, and lead the person to Christ. If you believe, say this after me. That's it. The gospel is not anything tedious. It's not anything complicated. You don't need to go to a Bible school to know how to preach. You just need to be a believer. Now, when it comes to instructing a group of believers, the responsibility becomes more and the criteria is a bit expansive. But when it comes to just talking to somebody about Jesus Christ, it's no degree, nothing. It's just a testimony of what God has done for you. Share it with them. We are able to deal with spiritual blindness if we preach the lights of the glorious gospel. But 
Ladies and gentlemen, the light of the glorious gospel will never come on until it, it travels through the avenue of preaching. So begin to pray about this as you are listening to this. Lord, which one person do you want me to talk to? Which friend? Who, 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 who needs to hear this message about the gospel? That indeed they will be saved. And when they are saved, they are saved from the wrath to come. Because they are also vessels of mercy. Everybody is a vessel of mercy. Everybody is a vessel of mercy. But we have to preach the gospel and give them the opportunity. So that when the word is near their heart and their mouth, all they will have to do is to respond and believe. Amen. Now let's look at the reaction of preaching in our concluding verses. Verses 16 to 21. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Who believed our reports? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I did say, did Israel not know? First Moses say, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Let me submit to your hearing, fellow preacher. Not everybody you preach.